Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I invite you to turn in your Bible and read with me, but before I do that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, Speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So if we have, as we have continued to social distance and wear our masks over the past few weeks, I have been thankful for those people who have provided masks for me. You might remember back at the beginning of the pandemic, masks were hard to come by, especially those medical masks. But many people in our church reached out to help me so that I could have masks that I need. There was a doctor in the church who gave me a handful of medical masks that I I used up fairly quickly. And then there was a child in our church, Melissa Denny, who actually handmade a mask for me, and I still wear it from time to time. And Lynn Turner, who used to work on our staff, found a Georgia Bulldog mask that I wear. It's really bright red, so a lot of times I wear it when I'm over at the preschool. And there are several other folks. In fact, there are some precious people who have made these masks that we're wearing on Sunday mornings. And they say special words like faith and hope and love and amen. And not only have they made masks like this for our staff, but they also made masks for many of our children in our preschool and other people around us. There are all sorts of masks out there. And, and even when I have gone out to the store, I've seen all kinds of masks. It really didn't take long for those masks to become fashion statements. Of course, there are masks for every single football team 
team you can imagine. There are masks with different print on them, leopard print and, and animal print. There are masks that have slogans on them and, and emblems on them. There are even masks for different businesses in town who have gotten their business emblem put right on the mask. There are even a few bedazzled masks out there, all that draw our attention. But I don't know if you've found this, but when I've gone out into Publix and the, the grocery stores and have, have been wearing my masks, it's been hard for me to recognize people while they're wearing their mask. I'll see someone and I'll look in their eyes and they'll look in my eyes and I can tell it's somebody that I'm supposed to know, but it takes me a little while while that mask is on to, to see them for who they are and to recognize them. To be truly honest with you, there's sometimes I take advantage of that. When I need to run into the store really quickly and just pick up something and get right back to my day, sometimes I'll put that mask on and even put a little ball cap on and I'll run in so that people can't recognize me and get what I need and get out pretty fast. But those masks have made it hard for us to see each other, to recognize each other. As important as they are as to help keep each other safe, it's, safe, it's made it hard for us to see each other while we're wearing those masks. As you know, over the past few weeks, we've been trying to see ourselves in the Scripture passages, all these passages from the Gospel of Luke, and we've been trying to see ourselves in the characters there in the story. But this week, I haven't really had trouble seeing myself in the characters in the story. What's interesting about the passage this week is the characters in the story have had a difficult time seeing each other. You may have heard versions of this story before. There's a version of this story in every single gospel. Sometimes it's called the anointing at Bethany or the anointing of Jesus. But all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all carry some sort of version of the story. Matthew and Mark are probably the most alike. Jesus goes into the house of Simon the leper, and, and while he's there eating, a woman comes in with a costly jar of ointment, and she breaks the ointment open and, and anoints Jesus' feet. And something similar happens in in the Gospel of John, but instead of going to the house of Simon the leper, Jesus goes to the house of Lazarus. You might remember Lazarus is the one who Jesus rose for, raised from the dead, and, and it's, it's Lazarus' sister Mary who comes in and anoints Jesus' feet with that ointment. And in all three of those Gospels, the, the, the meaning or the dilemma in the, in the passage is all about wastefulness, about taking this big jar of expensive ointment and, and pouring it all out and wasting it when it could be sold and, and, and used, the money used to help people in need, feed hungry people all around them. The disciples, sometimes the Pharisees, come and, and challenge Jesus and challenge the woman for wasting this costly ointment that could be used to help other people. And in each of those Gospels, Jesus says something along the lines of, leave her alone, she's doing a good service for me, showing her devotion for me. And, and she, in some ways, was foreshadowing what Jesus would do, that just as the, anointment, the ointment is being poured out, Jesus himself would, would pour out his life for all of us. But the Gospel of Luke is a little different. Even though the actions seem to be the same, the, the dilemma in the story is different. The dilemma in this story is not about wastefulness, but it's about sinfulness and forgiveness and grace and gratitude. Jesus goes into the house of Simon the Pharisee this time. And when he goes in, for whatever reason, Simon forgets to, to wash his feet, which was custom at the day, and, and to give him a holy kiss, which was also a custom to show hospitality to guests who came into your house. But Jesus went in and sat down at the table, and this woman came in and, and, and anointed Jesus' feet with the ointment and, and her tears and wiped his, his feet off with her hair. 
But instead of complaining that this ointment was, was so expensive and should be used and, and not wasted, Simon the Pharisee had another complaint. He thought to himself, Jesus must not be that much of a prophet. Because if Jesus knew who this woman was and what a sinner she was, Jesus would never want this woman to be anywhere around him. Jesus seemed to know what Simon was thinking. And so Jesus poses a, a parable to Simon. He says, there are two people, two debtors, and, and one owes 500 denarii, one owes 50 denarii, and, and, and both of those debts are forgiven. So who do you think would be the most great, grateful for, for those debts to be forgiven? And Simon seems to agree with Jesus that the one with the greatest debt will be the most grateful, will show the most love. But it's then in that moment... After Jesus offers this parable to Simon, that Jesus offers a very powerful question to Simon the Pharisee. He looks at Simon and asks him, Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Now, maybe Simon thought he did see her, in fact. He knew her from around town. Apparently, she had a reputation. We don't know exactly what her sins were. We don't even know what her name is, but we know she has a reputation of being a sinful person. And so I'm sure Simon thought he had seen her plenty of times, but Jesus seems to accuse Simon of not seeing her, of not knowing who she really is, of not truly recognizing her for the person that she is. And Jesus calls on Simon to see her, to recognize her, to see her for who she is because it's when we see that other person that transformation can take place. Jesus asked that same question of us. Do we see her? Or do we see those people around us that we might think of as sinful, that we might think of as enemies, that we might think of as annoying or, or pain for us, people that we want to keep at arm's length? Do we truly see them for who they are? Because it's only when we see them, when we find ways to have empathy with them, when we try to find ways that our story and their story might cross each other, where we find out those commonalities that we have, when we truly see them for who they are, it's then that transformation takes place. Some of you might have heard the story from several years ago back down from Miami-Dade County about a judge, a judge named Mindy Glazier, who was sentencing a, 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 a defendant who had just been found guilty of, of, of being a thief and also of, of resisting arrest. His name was, was Arthur Booth. And Arthur and, and, and Cindy were staring there in that courtroom looking at each other. She was offering questions to the, to the defendant and, as well as offering questions to the lawyer, asking them questions about what he had done and why he had done it. And during that whole kind of interview between the judge and the defendant, Arthur just kind of stood there with a blank face. But as they got to the end of the sentencing, Mindy Glazier asked the defendant a very peculiar question. She looked at him and said, Mr. Booth, did you go to Nautilus Middle School? And in that moment, she was no longer a judge and he was no longer a defendant because both of their eyes were opened and they saw each other and they realized that they were old classmates from 30 years ago. They had come from the same middle school and had played football together out on the playground. They had known each other from years. 
And truly in that moment, Arthur Booth's eyes truly opened up and he started to weep and to cry as he saw this old classmate of his and to saw how, see how different his life was than hers. That she was now a judge and he was now a defendant. But it was in that moment where they saw each other, they recognized each other, where they realized they were more than just a judge and a defendant. But it was Mindy and it was Arthur, old classmates who had gone in two different directions. And Arthur said later that it was that moment that inspired him to try to make his life better because he realized that they had come from the same place but had gone in different directions and he wanted his life to be better. And the story didn't end there. Ten months later, after he had finished his sentence and he was getting out of jail, Mindy Glazier, the the judge in that case, met him at the door of the jail along with his family and greeted him with a hug and encouraged him to continue to try to be the person that she knew he was from way back a long time ago when they were children. This good person who could make good choices. And Arthur Booth would later say that was what helped him turn his life around. We see each other, and we recognize each other, and it transforms us. It transforms relationships, and it transforms our world. When we see each other, not just for the sum of our mistakes, but when we see each other for who we are, for all of our good parts and and all of our bad parts. To see each other, not just as people who are wrong, but people who are children of God. People who all need God's love. Simon the Pharisee was having trouble seeing this woman for who she was, to see her as more than just a sinner, but seeing her as a child of God. And and Jesus seemed to have an, an idea of why he was having such trouble seeing her. In fact, I think in that parable that Jesus tells, there's actually a second question that Jesus asks Simon the Pharisee. Not just, do you see her? Do you see this woman? But Jesus asks him, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself when in these two debtors, the one that owes 500 denarii and the one that owes 50, do you see yourself? Because Jesus seems to know that until we are willing to take a long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror, to look at ourselves for our good parts and our bad parts and humble ourselves, it's only then that we're willing and able to have the same grace when we look at those people around us. But that takes so much courage to do. We spend most of our time trying to hide those bad parts, not only from the people in the world, but from ourselves. It takes a lot of courage to look at the the ways that that we should be changed and that we should be different. It takes a lot of courage to try to change our lives and and be the children of God that God calls us to be. Some of you know years ago I was a, a tour guide at the College of William and Mary when I was a student there. And part of my job was to walk around the historic campus there of, of, of William and Mary and spread, tell stories and spin yarns and tell people about how great this college was. There were prospective students there and, and other people. I wanted them to know what a wonderful school we, we were a part of there at William and Mary. And I told stories about people who signed the Declaration of Independence, about people who signed the Constitution, people who had who had been presidents of the United States and all about this school that had had really been there for so long and had been an example of, of an institution for many other institutions that are all over our country. What I didn't tell were a lot of the, the bad stories about the school. That every school, every institution has darker stories, uh, stories that we like to ignore, stories that we try to, to, to keep out of the back of our minds. But 
One of those stories was about how slavery has played an important role in the College of William and Mary and about how slavery was a big part of, of who the school was and how they made money during, before the Civil War. Back in 2009, a student was working on a doctoral thesis and was learning about how slaves had been used around the college. And while she was doing this work, she saw in one of the documents that there was a slave who worked in the Wren building and in the kitchen of the Wren building. And every day, this slave would get up and work right there in the kitchen and then at night would put down a pallet and sleep right there in the kitchen because there was nowhere else for this slave to, to sleep. And for whatever reason, the, the slave was called Lemon. Like a, like a fruit, the lemon. So lemon was, a, was somebody that she got curious about and wanted to learn more about and was wondering about where his family came from and, and not only where his family came from, but who his family was now, his descendants who were probably somewhere around Williamsburg or somewhere around the Tidewater area. And so she went to the board of visitors and said, we need to learn more about the slaves who worked here on our campus and, and learn more about the dark things that our college has done so that we can be face and come face to face with the parts of our lives that we need to change and hopefully make the world a little better place by working on those things together. And so they created this project where they started to reach out to people in the community, people of, of other colors and people of other backgrounds, trying to find ways to build bridges with people in Williamsburg, trying to find ways to have a living wage for all those people who worked on their campus, and trying to find ways to make their campus more welcoming to people of all different backgrounds and all different races. The project is now called The Lemon Project. And it talks about all of those things that the university has been, well, kind of ashamed of over the years. But now, because of this project, they're using the shame of their past to build bridges, to, to take a long, hard look at themselves and, and try to build reconciliation with people around them in need. It takes a lot of courage to do that, to take that long, hard look at yourself, to not just look at your good parts, but look at your bad parts and to confess those sins and say, I need to do something different. But when we do that, when we see ourselves, it can be transformative because it allows us to then open our eyes and see others around us in need. It allows us to, to see those people around us, people that we might dismiss or despise or, or just want to stay away from, and we see them for who they are, not just a sum of their faults, but as children of God. Because after all, that's how Jesus Christ sees Simon, and that's how Jesus Christ sees this woman in the story for their good parts and their bad parts. And, and we as children of God are called to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus to try to see the world the way Jesus sees all of us. I told you this little illustration several years ago, but there's a little story about Cory ten Boom, the, the Dutch Reformed Christian who had helped so many people through the Holocaust and even survived the Holocaust herself. And she tells a little story about going and visiting a, a family with four little children, friends of hers, and she sort of was like a surrogate grandmother for them. And like a surrogate grandmother, every time she came, she liked to share with them little gifts and tell them little stories. And one time she went to visit this family, and after dinner she sat in a little rocking chair and said, I have something I want to show you. And she pulled out of her bag this, this old piece of fabric that looked like all kinds of threads and knots and strings. It looked like a bird's nest in some, just a big bunch of mess. And she asked the children what they thought it was. And they said, well, it just looks like a mess. It looks like a mistake. It looks like someone was trying to make something beautiful, but it, it looks terrible. 
And as they sat there and talked, she flipped that fabric over and she showed them on the other side was this beautiful needlepoint crown of thorns. Just like the crown of thorns that Jesus wore in the gospel. She showed them both sides of it, the the messy side and the beautiful side. And she said, children, God sees all sides of us, our good parts and our bad parts, the parts that we love and the parts that we're ashamed of, our successes and our failures. And the good news, children, is God loves us all. Jesus Christ sees Simon the Pharisee and Jesus Christ sees this woman. Jesus sees them for their good parts and their bad parts. But Jesus offers them the exact same thing. Jesus offers them forgiveness. Offers them grace. Offers them love. Offers them a reason to be grateful. Our calling every day as disciples of Jesus Christ is to try to see people through the eyes of Jesus and offer the world what Jesus offers to us. And so my question today is, do you see this woman? Do you see this man? Do you see the people around you who drive you crazy? Do you see the people around you who you despise or you would dismiss? Do you see them? Well, if you see them through the eyes of Jesus, then there is only one way to respond. By offering them grace. Offering them love. Offering them gratitude. So I hope, oh God, that we may all see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen.